This is Nullius in Verba, a podcast about science, what it is, and what it could be. It's co-hosted by me, Smriti Mehta from UC Berkeley, and me, Daniel Lagens from Eindhoven University of Technology. In 1973, philosopher Imre Lakatos said, "Indeed, the hallmark of scientific behavior is a certain skepticism, even towards one's most cherished theories. Blind commitment to a theory is not an intellectual virtue; it is an intellectual crime." In the second episode of Nullius in Verba, we discuss the role that skepticism plays in science, both in theory and in practice. What happens when scientists are not skeptical enough? Or when they are too skeptical, should we only be skeptical of scientific findings, or is it justified to be skeptical of other scientists or even entire disciplines? And what will we need to better calibrate our skepticism? Enjoy. Daniel, the title of our podcast is "Nullius in Verba," which means "Don't take anybody's word for it." Right on nobody's word. Mm-hmm. And it, we're, today we're talking about skepticism. And what do you think is the role of skepticism in science, and why is it important? Yeah, science is very much a social endeavor. You know,、mm-hmm. we do it with people, so we're not just machines computing evidence without any biases or things we want to be true. And、uh, but but it's done by people, and people have wishes and desires.、Mm-hmm. And I think、um, the skepticism is part of the social process. So we doubt people a little bit because、uh, we think. That they want certain outcomes more than other types of outcomes. So if they tell us a certain outcome where we think that、uh, they might really like that they found this thing, then we should be skeptical, maybe for them. Ideally, they are also a little bit skeptical themselves, but I think that is a more difficult thing. So we should be a bit skeptical about what they say to balance out these wishes and desires that we have as people. Right. So that is something I sometimes think about in terms of skepticism. Because you could be skeptical about, so for example, I don't know if you remember, there was some time ago, physicists found、um, they thought that they had found a particle、mm-hmm. that was moving faster than light.、Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? Yeah,、um, yeah. faster, yeah. faster than light neutrino. Exactly. Yeah, and and there were people were really skeptical of that, and for good reason.、Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between being skeptical of, oh, there is something wrong here. Maybe we haven't found what we thought we found, or Being skeptical of what the results are versus being skeptical of the people and the scientists. Yeah. Right. Or like, have or they're doing it because of confirmation bias, and I think those are two、mm-hmm. different things. And so I'm wondering if one is sort of, well, not maybe better than the other, but but I do think think that the the second kind of skepticism, where we're we're skeptical of scientists. I think can lead to maybe like a little bit of a dangerous path because then you start like distrusting the scientists you're working with, versus、mm-hmm. being skeptical of the results themselves. Like, oh, maybe something went wrong, which is what they、yeah. found, right? Like, there was some cord that was like loose, which is just the funniest thing.、Um, but, but what do you think about that? Like, those two different、yeah. kinds of skepticisms. I think that's a super important distinction. Super important distinction because. It feels that the goal of skepticism, indeed, is mainly on this level of the finding.、Right. So somebody tells you something, and then you have to be skeptical, like a healthy skepticism、right. about this finding, because we know, you know, that we select results all the time.、Mm-hmm. Uh, we select the things that we talk about to other people, even these people who found these faster than light neutrinos. You know, that was one result. They found other stuff. Maybe sometimes not everything is shared. So we know that there's all these selective sort of steps in scientific communication between peers. So we should sort of say, why are you telling me this thing? And and what else happened here in the background? You know, or so that's about the finding. And and I would say that's a healthy skepticism because it keeps everything sort of on point, and you know, people are a little bit on their guard. But in a in a good way,、um, but when it goes to people, you can also be skeptical about people. I think you can even be skeptical about 
science or at least the scientific system that we have currently. Like you can be skeptical that the way we do science now is going to yield reliable knowledge for all sorts of reasons. And, and that feels really big, you know? I mean, yeah. then, then, you, then you're skeptical about such a big thing. I also don't know how, how can you even know whether your skepticism is balanced or in the right perspective or how do you say it, you know? Is it on point? On point or is it, hmm, that's interesting. I feel like I might disagree with you a little bit on that about oh dear we're only in our second <laughs> podcast and this was a podcast recording and now we're already well uh, if we disagree in any episode then this one <laughs> well we should have said why is it only in the second episode that we're disagreeing <laughs> we should have been disagreeing in the first one also um because i think once you start being skeptical of the method of science, I actually think that becomes a little bit dangerous because mm -hmm. then you go down the path of, can we even find anything at all, right? Like, mm -hmm. can we even get to the truths? And I no, no, I, I agree with you. I agree yeah. with you. I think that's, that's not a healthy version of science. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Because maybe we're doing science the wrong way, right? Um, and what... Well, I mean the wrong way. If we look back at last episode, we had Bacon, you know, in uh, 1620 mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. saying, look, we should do science in a completely new way because all this talk that we do and without empiricism and without building on simple facts, the way that we have is not going to lead to anything. So this is a book that uh, tries to promote another way of doing science and maybe he was very skeptical about the way that his fellow peers were working. And maybe sometimes the whole system is something that you can be skeptical about. Because pressures or whatever, you know, the incentives or whatever kind of thing. Yeah. I guess that leads us to another question, which is, which is the question will be like, okay, so if you are skeptical of the process of science and you're not sure if it's going to lead you to truths as you would hope it to, which, and I actually do think I am in that place right now. Um, I don't know if I should be airing my existential crises <laughs> publicly. <laughs> But, but so then the question then becomes like, what do you do? Like, should you stay and try to figure out how to improve the system so we can get there? Which would just feels like such a big task, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Do you just leave um, because it's not getting you where you are trying to go? Yeah. Yeah. It's nice that we're starting uh, immediately with these big questions of, you know, if you're skeptical about science, uh, should you just leave? Should you just <laughs> leave it all together? I think if you're skeptical about science, um, that can be okay. You know, we probably want a couple of people um, who are quite skeptical about what we're doing because they will keep us on, us on our toes about our way of working and all things we take for granted. You know, mm -hmm. when you come to work, you're like, yeah, I'm a scientist and scientists do these kind of things. Then maybe it's good if there's somebody next door who says, oh yeah, oh really? <laughs> oh, I don't think this is good. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe that's useful. Um, but one of the things it uh, risks uh, leading to is cynicism right or, or or even worse where you really think like what's the whole use of this and I, i've talked to people who feel this way uh, i find that very interesting so i've talked to people who um for example a professor mm -hmm. at you know established professor working in a certain field and i won't disclose any details yeah. but this person was working in a field where he really thought that it was not leading to anything anymore. Mm. And he said, yeah, you know, actually a couple of years ago, there was sort of a rift in our discipline and there was a more applied side, which I think mm. is very healthy. And there was um, the side that I happen to be in. I think this is not leading anywhere. Mm. And um, up to the point that he says, you know, I think I'm just going to use my tenure to write books. <laughs> Maybe not about even the topic that I'm working in. I'm just <laughs> going to become an author or something, you know, and that that's like cynical. You've just given up then, you know, right. I mean... Yeah, so if it's that bad, then I feel, hmm, then, yeah, maybe. Yeah, so so here's the analogy I recently was discussing with my, um, I told my advisor about. So imagine that you were in a seminary, you were studying to be mm -hmm. a priest. And as you're studying to be a priest, at some point you realize, oh, maybe there's no God. <laughs> right like yeah. what we're talking about right now sounds very equivalent to that to me like oh yeah what if there's no god and if you have those doubts in your mind yeah like how do you continue mm -hmm. going on right because there are things where you're like oh yeah i know what i need to do to be a good priest sure mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But if God doesn't exist, why do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you really have to give up sort of the feeling that there is um, any possibility of having knowledge generation within the system that you're working in, right? Um, yeah. To give up, you right. know, um, being so skeptical about the way that science operates uh-huh. that you just think it's not gonna improve. So one thing that I try to keep in mind is, and that's one of the the reasons why I thought it was nice to talk about Bacon previous time, because we're mm-hmm. talking about somebody 400 years ago who tries to change the way we do science. And now it's 400 years later, but doesn't mean that we've reached the pinnacle of how to do things. Right. So, so I feel there's a very high likelihood that 200 years from now, people are going to look back and whatever somebody wrote now about how we do science, if it's still being read at all, mm-hmm. people will be like, yeah, you know, they had no clue of what <laughs> science would turn into. Imagine that these poor people from 2023 would, would know how we operate now. They would be amazed that this is what science has turned into. So I think there's room for improvement. You know, I'm a very optimistic person in that sense. I always think there's room for improvement. So right. I would I would say if you if you think that there's uh, something that needs to change, then try to do it. Now, that sounds easy because mm. this person I talked to mm-hmm. at the end of their career, they mm-hmm. had tried. They had tried. And in their field, they felt like I tried everything I know know to try. And I think, oh. you know, and yeah. that I think is the worst possible situation to be. And I think then, yeah, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. Then I maybe it's justified that you're cynical and just want to give up and write books instead. I, I hope there are not a lot of fields like that, you know, where where the situation is so bleak. It's also interesting that this person, actually one of their criticisms um, of their field or why they thought there was a problem was that the field itself was not skeptical enough. Mm. So they thought these people are just accepting all sorts of things, but it's not good. They should be way more critical about what they are publishing and what they believe. So it's interesting that their whole viewpoint was basically very skeptical. Skeptical and that people, I mean, I can definitely relate to that. I don't know if you can as well. I mean, I feel like in our discipline, maybe specifically in like social psychology, I think especially is... Mm -hmm. Well, we've had the replication crisis, which I think has definitely helped. Well, it's complicated, right? Because I think there there's parts of the discipline of social psychology where I think people are just really not skeptical at all. Mm-hmm. And and there are a lot of times where even people who might be skeptical are afraid to, sh- to openly share that skepticism because of other reasons, um, because if their topics are sensitive, et cetera, et cetera, like that sort of hinders, I think, people openly sharing their skepticism. Um, Mm -hmm. or people are just not skeptical at all. And they just take because things either confirm, you know, what they already believe or they're, and even, I mean, I remember when we were, when I was an undergrad, I mean, it really was not explicitly like something that we were taught to do in in Mm -hmm. our classes. Like we weren't, we were just given these things of like, oh, this is what they found. And this is what happened. And this is truth with a capital T. And I don't think that universities do a good job of really really trying to get students to think mm-hmm. about like does is it really true and i part of it i also understand because imagine imagine you're teaching children about oh these are the planets here are the you know eight planets but maybe mm-hmm. to, you know tomorrow we might have seven maybe we'll have nine mm-hmm. you know who knows mm-hmm. <laughs> like you can't yeah. right like when you're just introducing people to a certain discipline you can't there's a well, risk of right like so it's it's a tough it's such a tough um line to balance yeah yeah this this is really a good example really nice and um yesterday my um colleague chao song who's uh, my former phd student as well but mm-hmm. now working as an assistant professor he gave a guest lecture mm-hmm. uh in my advanced cognition course mm-hmm. and and in the lecture he said yeah i updated some stuff in the slides this year and one of the updates was that he was first talking about a study that mm-hmm. was done and showed some interaction effect mm-hmm. And then the next slide was, yeah, actually, recently I saw a five-study replication of this. Mm. um, And uh, yeah, they didn't find the same interaction effect. So yeah, not sure what it is. And um, I thought, you know, this is very good. He put it in. Uh, We almost always in a course as a learning goal have a critical view. Like we want to teach students mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. critical view on uh, science and interpreting scientific evidence. Yeah. 
But then later we were in the elevator mm-hmm. uh, going up and there was still one student was joining us, uh, you know, standing in the same elevator. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, Daniel. Yeah, because I find this so difficult. Like, so what do we do now? I mean, is this effect real or not? Like, I don't know. I mean, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what you have. And um, so he, he presented this uh, to the students, uh, but he didn't present his difficulty in, yeah, what are we supposed to do with it now? So I think... A real lecture where you're quite skeptical about things, you you have to assume certain things. Are, you have to trust certain things might be true or or not, or I don't know. Yeah. So that's the most difficult part of the whole replication crisis. What what can you teach? And can you only teach skepticism in your students? Like, don't trust anything you read. That seems a bit extreme as well. It does seem pretty extreme, but it also, yeah, like it, like finding that healthy amount is mm-hmm. difficult. Like, what is the healthy amount, and how do you? How do you make sure that you don't end up in a situation where people are just completely on the other side of it? And and here's one example I want to mention because it's something I do think about quite a bit. And I think in a in a way that this can lead to like a loss of knowledge generation. So mm-hmm. we have in our discipline we have this concept of ego depletion. We've sort of discussed you and I have discussed this before. Um, mm-hmm. And it, there's been, you know, a lot of since the replication crisis It's one of the effects that has really taken a huge hit. And there's been a lot of replications and people have tried to, you know, mm-hmm. do a lot of theorizing and, you know, replicating and experimenting, et cetera, et cetera. And the conclusion seems to be currently like I hear a lot of people saying ego depletion is not real. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the thing. Ego depletion is just a label that we have given to. And so, for okay. I mean, I'm. Who knows who's listening to this? But ego, ego depletion essentially uh, is this idea that self-control is a limited resource, and so mm-hmm. that if you expend it, then you are less likely to be able to exert it um, later on. That's sort of the general idea. And the thing is, I mean, yeah, it's just a label that's been given or a theory that's been put forth by somebody to explain a phenomena that, to me, it seems like surely that does exist, right? There is something there. Like three mm-hmm. hours of watching a movie is not the same thing as three hours of sitting through a math exam, right? There's a difference there. And there is something there. And maybe we haven't gotten to the correct sort of conceptualization of it. We don't know how to measure it properly. But there's definitely something there. But now I hear a lot of people saying, oh, it's not real. It's not a thing. And I feel like it's going to stop people who might actually be interested in pursuing that topic um, from going there because the, all the baggage that's going to come with it of people being like, oh, that's just not a real thing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so how do we, how do we, yeah, not fall into the trap of, yeah, yes, we should be skeptical and yes, we should be careful and try to double check everything. But how do we make sure that we're not falling into the trap of, oh, this is, these things are just not real and let's not pursue them? Yeah. And that's the, the healthy skepticism is basically having a very accurate prior about which things are true and which things are not true. And if your prior is too, uh, misaligned with reality, right? You think everything is not true, for example. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you think in this case, not just, hey, this five-minute manipulation where you have to cross out uh, the letter E that will mm-hmm. tire you down so much that it will show ego depletion. Okay, that, that manipulation is not yeah. working. I think mm-hmm. most people agree that that's not the way to mm-hmm. do it. Uh, but then you're generalizing too far beyond what all is now nonsense or, right. um, you know, so you're overly skeptical about an entire set of studies or a concept or mm-hmm, some sort mm-hmm. of uh, principle. And, um, and and then, yeah, so that's definitely happening. I think one step beyond this is just becoming skeptical about all psychological research or maybe all social psychology or something. I know, you know? a few people like that. Yeah. I, I also know people <laughs> like this. And I'm very often uh, a bit annoyed by people <laughs> who are overly skeptical. Right. You know, I mean, uh, maybe it's because I... T- now, I, I don't try to be optimistic. I think I am just optimistic. I mean, I don't know <laughs> if I can choose this, but I, you know, optimistic, I mean, but on a very long time scale. Right. Yeah. Uh, things will just, I think, improve in in all scientific fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's interesting around the time that we had discussions about this replication crisis stuff in 2012. I remember there were people, for example, uh, I had an interview once, sort of combined interview with Klaus Fiedler, mm-hmm. and um, he was. He's pretty skeptical in general, Mm, (laughs) pretty skeptical uh, person. Uh, I think he would say from himself that he always takes the opposite viewpoint of what anybody else would say Mm. 
as a matter of scientific principle, which means that when everybody was saying, oh, there's a replication crisis very early on, like in mm. 2014, he would say, that's nonsense. There is no replication crisis. So, so I also talked to him in, in this interview and, you know, like an example like yours. Uh, like he understands the evaluation of data. So he wouldn't say, yeah, okay, this specific ego depletion paradigm, that's indeed not very trustworthy. But he would say, look, if this is all you're going to talk about, how are we going to get smart people in our field to improve the way that we do research in a bit? Because if all you're saying is doom and gloom, right. I guess that's mm -hmm. the saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doom and gloom, <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah, that, then that doesn't sound very attractive. So he, he had sort of a viewpoint of look at the best 10%. And uh, make people en enthusiastic about the most robust or best 10% of stuff we do. Mm. You know, then I think, well, that's a bit of a waste of 90%. Maybe we can make that a bit larger. Mm. But I do get his point of not making a whole generation so skeptical about an entire field that they give up on it. Well, we could do with some fewer psychologists for sure. So, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's maybe the cynical tech. I don't know. Is this now a cynical tech? Have we moved on to a bit more cynical tech? Is it though? Is it a cynical tech? Um, I feel like if we had fewer people, but people who I think trusted the process, but maybe were skeptical of a lot of the findings, I think that would be a good place to be, right? Mm. Like we... And also trusting each other. Like, I do think that the, the sort of skepticism that where you start questioning the motives. And I, I mean, well, I think we should also acknowledge that, yeah, all of us have these biases, right? When we're doing research, I mean, of course we have, right? We come up with a hypothesis. So, of course, you are like trying to find something. And it's so easy to trick yourself into thinking that you mm -hmm. found what you were looking for. So, you should, you know, the first person you should be skeptical of is yourself. We should mm -hmm. have scientists should just be. Well, there's a quote by Richard Feynman that I really like, which is the first principle is that you must not fool yourself for you are the easiest person to fool. And so I think, if anything, you should be skeptical of your own self. And I think if everybody did that a little bit more, then I think we would be able to trust other researchers so much more, right? If this hmm. sort of self-skepticism was encouraged more, even when you read papers, I remember, and I see it so much less now than with earlier papers of people really like in their discussions making sure that they're saying how they could be wrong. I don't mm -hmm. think I see that as much in newer papers where you're really, and you can tell when somebody has done a good job of it because you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that, but, but they, they, oh, oh, but I guess they're right. They could be wrong this way or that way. And when you see that, I think when I read that, it increases my trust in what the researchers are saying. Like mm -hmm. I trust their results a lot more, but I have seen it work the other way where people will like in journal clubs and stuff where people will read somebody who's really critical of their own work or really are underplaying what they have found and their interpretation is, oh, well, they haven't found anything or, oh, they're just, yeah, they could be wrong this way and that way. But I'm like, but no, we wouldn't even have realized all these holes in their logic and in that, right? If they mm -hmm. hadn't pointed those out to us and that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think there are two interesting things in, in what you say. So the first is that in this publication process, this is exactly a point where there is this sort of selective communication going on. Because most people mm. would think, well, my goal now is not just to do good science, but also to get published here. Mm -hmm. And if I write it up like this, <laughs> so that some of the readers think, oh, wait, so they didn't actually find anything or there are all these, how about I leave these out? And then I hope that they don't think about them myself. <laughs> and and I think that's the process that happens. Mm. And that's why you have to be a little bit skeptical for, you know, to compensate for this mm. process that goes on in science. So I think that's one, one goal that skepticism has. The other is that it would be good if everybody does this a little bit more, maybe. And that if you read it, you are impressed by people mm -hmm. displaying a good amount of skepticism about mm -hmm, their own findings mm -hmm. and other people don't. And that I think points to the second thing that's interesting, which is there seem to be just big individual differences in mm -hmm. how skeptical some people are or how much they like it or see it as something that's that's important, you know, or so it might be a trait that if, if we see people who are overconfident or not skeptical enough that we doubt them, but other people say, yeah, this is so convincing. They're such a convincing speaker or something, you know? Yeah. So I think it might be an individual differences thing. It might be an education thing. I don't know what it's about, but there's definitely variation there, which might also be good. So we yeah. have some pretty skeptical people, maybe some very trusting people, and maybe a combination of all those things is, is healthy for science.
Is it though? I mean, I, th- I think the individual, <laughs> the individual difference question is an interesting one. I think part of it has to do with being okay with uncertainty. When you're a scientist, I mean, that's kind of the thing, right? We are any knowledge that we have or any any scientific finding that we have. It's the, the our belief in it could change tomorrow. So, and I don't think a lot of people are comfortable with that. And I think that also shows up in like public's opinion of science, right? I think they see that, mm-hmm. oh, scientists, like sometimes they say this and sometimes say that. And I think there's a lot of people that just are not super comfortable with uncertainty. And so for them, like being skeptical is not a comfortable place to be in because it's uncertainty, essentially. Right? We're not um, mm-hmm. sure. But the question of whether in science, we should have some people who are super trusting and some people who are super skeptical. I'm not sure. Don't you think that sort of would create a weird imbalance? I, I also don't know. I mean, I often have a sort of solution to the problem, like what should we have in science or how should we organize science that we just, that I just say, we probably need a bit of everything, you know, like, uh, because the system is so complex mm-hmm. and I can't really explain how it works. So I just want to keep all sorts of diverse kind of approaches in there, mm-hmm. even if some mm-hmm. are very trusty and some are very skeptical. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that's the best thing to do, but yeah, but like what what happens, Daniel, as I was saying, like what happens if you end up with where people self-select into different subdisciplines based on that, right? Like if you end up with mm-hmm. people who are studying a certain kind of topic and all of them just end up not being very skeptical at all, and then you have other subdisciplines where you have people, all of them are super skeptical. Um, yeah. that doesn't seem yeah. <laughs> that seems yeah. Um, and and that does seem to happen a little yeah, bit. So that's yeah. also interesting because yeah. I, I mean, I don't work in economics, but I've heard in economics, if you make a presentation, <laughs> you can basically just make your title slide only because the first questions will just come immediately at the title slide. People raise their hands and say like, I don't know, this seems like complete nonsense. What do you mean with blah, 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 blah. And you don't have a second slide because you don't get there. So they're so skeptical about everything that also... Um, People didn't really like that. So, mm. yeah. And there so is the, probably some self-selection going on there, right? The kind of people who would end up becoming economists versus, you know, studying. Probably, probably. And I, I, I have to say that the selection part also works like not just selecting in, but also selecting out. Because I can also imagine that there's some very skeptical people in psychology, let's say, and it's not appreciated at all. Mm. And those people, I mean, if you're a skeptical person among non-skeptical people and mm-hmm. they all think, why are you being so negative about yeah. everything all the time? Then you also don't feel um, like you're in the right place. So also there, I think there are some some selection. But let me, can I ask you, like, where would, where do you think you are? Like, how often do you feel very skeptical about things? Is this your default response to things you read, for example? Uh, skeptical about all findings? Or are you ever skeptical about people or a whole subfield or something it's definitely not my default i'm not a skeptical person i trust everybody i'm like sure yeah <laughs> you're saying it of course it must be true yeah my de- yeah i'm a very like default of truth sort of a person um that being said i do think that i'm and you know, like i said right like when i was studying like as an undergrad we really didn't and i'm like yeah sure of course it's true so it's not i don't think i thought as critically as i really should have earlier on um, and since since I've been, you know, a grad student, I think I've tried to do that more. And the more you read, I think, the more you can start seeing certain patterns. And you're like, oh, yeah, if you see certain kinds of results um, and looking at them really carefully and actually then seeing what has been done and then, you know, following what happened with the replication crisis, it's, it's I'm more skeptical now. And like I was saying, I'm, I might be too skeptical at the moment, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though that's not my default. I've seen enough cases of blatant confirmation bias to where I'm really worried that a lot of the stuff we see is people just showing what they wanted to show instead of finding something that was true mm-hmm. of the world. And I, it's not good because I know that it's the second kind of skepticism where you're skeptical about people and their motives. Um, you're sliding. You're sliding. I'm sliding. Away, yeah, sliding I know. Away <laughs> <into> a, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but this is a tricky thing i think this sliding between the two and because sometimes you're right i mean sometimes there's just justified skepticism because some people in this whole process of presenting a story that like looks very attractive go a little bit too far right and this happens and we know um but i don't know maybe it's like you didn't sleep very well or you didn't have your coffee yet and sometimes you just think oh man i mean it's such a mess or something or all these things are such a mess but where are you where where i am yeah, mm. I'm. I'm definitely um, 
quite skeptical, uh, especially mm. about strangers. So, I mean, strangers, I mean, if I know people, then I've updated my, you know, my thoughts about them. So oh, if there are people that I read a lot of papers about, then I'll have an idea of how critical are they about their own findings and not. Um, but if there's a random stranger, you know, somebody's first paper, I definitely... I'm I'm skeptical. My first thing that I check is just like, you know, I read through the results section and I'll check like how robust are their findings and what do they say about them? And is there some balance there? Is there some healthy, like you say, you know, that people would honestly point out some limitations or are, are they overselling weak results or something? Right. That's the thing I often check. And I think if I had to bet, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm skeptical enough to have a default bet. Like if you force me, like, is it fine or is it not fine? My default bet would be it's not fine, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah. I might not, that might not be a winning strategy. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting thing, actually, because one of the ways that I become less skeptical, so Mm -hmm. in a good day, when I am optimistic about things, it's very often because I actually just read real stuff. I read papers and Mm -hmm. then not just selected papers, because the problem with skeptics like, you know, card-carrying skeptics. (laughs) There are organizations, skeptic organizations. People are card-carrying skeptics, I guess. Um, Is that they, of course, see a lot of the stuff to be skeptical about because that's what they share among Ah, each other, you know? Mm -hmm. So very often, I think, if you just take a random sample from Mm -hmm. a journal, whatever, the latest issue of something, and you go through it, whenever I do this, which mm-hmm. I sometimes do because it might be part of a research project I do where I have to read a bunch of random papers, mm-hmm. um, then I am always a bit more optimistic. Mm. And even um, the interactions with people, I'll give you an example of something that happened today, which makes me optimistic and proves me wrong, basically, oh. in how skeptical they are. So a couple of months ago, like maybe, no, maybe a month ago or something, I emailed somebody because they had cited a paper that I've written, which is a paper called Sample Size Justification. Mm-hmm. And it's a paper on how to have a good justification for the sample size you chose in your study. And this person had written something like, we uh, used the same sample size as an earlier study, and then a citation to my paper. And this paper is new enough that I, you know, I often follow up how people use recommendations that I write because I want to see if it, you know, goes right or wrong and if I have to correct something. So in this case, it's, this is exactly not what I write in the paper. So actually there's a paragraph that says you should not do this. So it's exactly (laughs) the opposite, you know. So I'm a bit annoyed and and I wrote this person, I said, could you please not cite me in the future? You know, I don't care about citations. I want you to have a good sample size justification and that's not, don't cite me for these kind of justifications. And and that's, I think, already something that not uh, a lot of people would do. Like, I'm literally emailing a random stranger (laughs) at this point. And um, what did I expect would happen? Nothing. I think I was just a bit frustrated and I just wanted to tell somebody like, this is not right, the end of it. But what happens today, I get an email from this person. I mean, Uh we emailed back and forth, a couple of emails. Today, I get an email from this person Uh saying, hey, Daniel, we have a new paper that we're going to work on. Mm-hmm. I just want to run this by you to see if we got it right this time. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, damn it. There are people who just want to get it right. And you know, it's not That's easy. Nice. And yeah. so, so those kind of experience, like reading real papers, interacting yeah. with real researchers, those yeah. are also the things that make me optimistic and, mm. and not so skeptical. And, and I think prove me wrong that I was overly skeptical about this person. You know, I definitely thought they probably don't want to get it right. They just want an easy citation. No, no, mm. they just misunderstood. Mm. It was just a mistake. They thought this was okay. It wasn't. And now they learned and they, they improve. So that's nice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Having this sort of calibrated skepticism, right? Yeah. That you sort of, you hinted at this before, that you need to know where to be skeptical of. Right. of and, and especially on the finding part, you know, on the findings. So which findings are mm-hmm. trustworthy and which look too good. Mm-hmm. Um, and about the people thing. Like, yeah. are you skeptical about our colleagues mm-hmm. that they are, mm-hmm. you know, doing the, yeah. that they yeah that they maybe have the right motivations right. or stuff are they doing I sneaky mean, stuff and you know putting it on the rug and stuff like exactly that, yeah. i think that's you know a bit of a worry that if you read things if you talk about the things that go wrong mm-hmm. yeah there it's very easy to think yeah people are don't care about the right yeah right things, and they're just they're or, just trying to get published and they're just trying to write so it's a common theme that you hear right yeah like Basically, everybody, you can't trust them. They're all motivated for this high-impact publication. They don't care about the truth and all this stuff. It's a common thing that you hear. But then if you look around, I mean, 
some people might exist like this, but I actually don't know a lot who are actually like this. Maybe some, and, and those might be, you know, salient. There might be some availability heuristics where you're like, every time this come up, the whole field thinks about the same couple of people. Or do you think it's, do you think it's much more severe than this? I think most people are probably just putting one foot after the other and they're just trying to get like, oh, how do we get published? Mm. How do we keep going on and, you know, get the next grant? And so, so I think in that it's not even that people are doing it out of any sort of nefarious reasons or they're trying to, you know, put the wool over other people's head. I think in a lot of cases, it is just pure and simple, just either not caring too much about what is actually out there, but mostly about, oh, how do we turn this into something that can be published? Hmm. Right? So where the truth is sort of irrelevant. Yeah. The one one foot in front of another kind of thing, I think is pretty reasonable, you know, like people have so many things to do and pressures and stuff and they just, yeah, try yeah. to do what they need to do and with some sort of good conviction that they try to do the right thing. But but maybe then the skepticism is exactly a little bit about the system or the way that we make people work. This is just what we sort of force people into sometimes, right? So mm. then, then I guess we would be a bit more skeptical. It's not so much about the people, but it's about... The yeah, system just, we've created. In the system, they're trying to do sort of the best, but I mean, not maybe not the best, but they're just trying to get, you know, stuff done and uh, it's all difficult enough. Right. Um, and there's that paper by John Ioannidis. Yeah. Right? Like all yeah. published findings are mostly false. Why, I mean, why that, most, why most, why yeah. most published right. research findings are false. Are false. It's good you bring this up, by the way. Yeah. So, so that paper is a nice example of something that is definitely a hit among the skeptics, mm. I think. Because a title like that is just perfect you yeah know? yeah i mean i think the paper itself i mean if if you read it the the main takeaway from the paper is if you just get a really like you know mm -hmm. a, a title like that will get you thousands of citations basically yeah, that, that so paper it doesn't has really an insane say. amount of citations yeah so there, there are a couple of things that are interesting to me about this so mm -hmm. first of all there's a paper um by wachholder and colleagues one year before this, 2014, hmm. which you have not heard of because it does not have a sexy title like this, mm. but it makes exactly the same points. Oh, wow. So the paper is exactly the same. Same model it says if you have low power, mm. if you inflate the type 1 error rate, and if the prior probability that your hypothesis is true is very low, mm. and then you select studies for publication based on significance, mm -hmm. so there's a significance filter, then the stuff that ends up in the literature, most of that will actually just all be flukes. Right. And that's the main point in um, Ioannidis' paper as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, he doesn't write a title that says something like, under the assumption that most of the findings, like most of the hypotheses you test are actually false and there is publication bias and there's low power and the alpha is inflated, then it could be that most published research... No, he just says why, you know, why most published research findings are false. Wait, but isn't he saying that most of the literature is like that in the field? That's why most of it is false. Well, in yes, I think maybe he would try to argue this, but one of the assumptions, for example, is that... Uh, I think in his model, in his calculations, the probability that you study a true hypothesis, that you uh -huh. study a true effect, uh -huh. is only 10%. Oh. I'm, I'm doing this by memory, but I think mm. we can check later. I think it's correct. So he basically says only 10% of the hypothesis you study, the ideas you have, is actually true. And that seems to me really low, you know, that's quite low. Yeah. It's, so you're really testing super risky kind of things. Most of the things don't turn out. Um, Whereas psychology is very often criticized for, you know, being such an open door science. Like, of course, yeah, my, my, my grandmother could tell you that this is how it works. So right. we are not in the range of, you 10%. know, oh, wow. Yeah. No, I, I yeah. don't think so. No. So, so altogether, his model is a model, you know, it definitely mm -hmm. doesn't warrant the conclusion that therefore most published research findings mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. true. But, but the fact that it's such a hit. Yeah. Is because I think a lot of people love a sort of depressing story like this, this I think ironically, for some skeptics, this confirms what they want to be true. 
And therefore, they're not skeptical enough about the argumentation in the paper. And they just go like, yeah, yeah, woo. Yeah, yeah they're not skeptical enough of the skeptics. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important point. But, but I definitely think that uh, skeptics mm -hmm. are also biased. I mean, they're not purely, they're not perfectly calibrated either, you know? Mm. So that's important. And that's why, I mean, when you say be skeptical of skeptics, mm. I think that's, that's just as important because they have similar things they want to be true. And that's, I think, why if you would naively read all the papers written about something like the replication crisis, of course, it's, you know, the reward structure makes it equally uh, attractive after a while to react against this. So you have just papers on both sides. Mm. And um, I think if you read about this, it's very difficult to figure out where the truth lies. And people can just pick a side. So they can be skeptical about science. And then you mm -hmm. think the replication crisis is a thing. You can be skeptical about the people who say the replication crisis is a thing. And we see mm -hmm. many people being skeptical mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. that. But the calibrated uh, truth, sort mm -hmm. of, you know, the calibrated version, that's so difficult to know, you know, because right. we don't know about this. So, so I think many people just go with these kind of, yeah, either skeptical or not skeptical attitudes and because knowing the truth is just too difficult. However, have you noticed, I mean, there's, there are definitely cases where, and I mean, I'm sure all of us do it to some extent, where you're more skeptical of things that you right like it's there's selective skepticism mm -hmm. right of like some branches where or some papers or some or even if you're saying oh like there are people that i know who who i know that they're scientists or whatever that i'm less skeptical or of their work but if i see certain disciplines and i know that they're or this person maybe does shoddy research um a lot of people are just like not skeptical of those at all right so it's but like then, they shut off their yeah. yeah but then some people are super skeptical about them you think too skeptical or if in the right amount? So I think what I try to say is the calibrated skepticism. Mm -hmm. I think it's almost impossible to know if you are skeptical enough, exactly skeptical enough about exactly the right findings mm. you should be skeptical of. So that's <laughs> the ideal situation. We have some godlike power that tells us this is a finding to be skeptical of. Right. And we're only skeptical when it's warranted to be skeptical. I mean... Yeah, that would be uh, some sort of ideal situation, which is, of course, impossible. Right. So you, you, and then I think people with their personal traits mm -hmm. are always a little bit much on, on one side or the other side because you can't be perfect. Yeah. Like how to deal with the fact that we're selectively skeptic about things, you know, because sometimes, and it is easy, right? If you're, if you know that a discipline or a subfield you know it to have published a lot of findings that can't be trusted, then you're, of course, more skeptical of it. Or there might be other reasons where you're more skeptical of it, but you might be less so if you're subdisciplines that you, for one reason or other, trust a bit more. So you, you apply your skepticism selectively. Mm -hmm. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Yeah, I don't know. Like, should you, should you apply equal amount of skepticism to everything, just like blanket all across? Or, or is it fine that you are selectively skeptic? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting point uh, because, I mean, I just admitted that I sel am selectively skeptical about things, you know, that because sometimes I, I learn something about things or I think I've learned something about people or about the field. And then I'll be like, okay, this is definitely my prior right. shift that this mm -hmm. whole thing or these people, everything they do is. Mm -hmm. um, but, I th but now that you mention it like this, I, I guess the true scientific attitude if mm -hmm. you want to say that skepticism, you know, what did you say? It's the blood of uh, the, the lifeblood. Yeah, the lifeblood life blood of, of science, which is <laughs> yeah. nice. And I think there's definitely an argument for it. Then I guess that's an argument against selective right. skepticism. So mm -hmm. you should always have an equal amount of skepticism about things um, just because it's good, you know, just because yeah. that's a good way to treat um, information. Right. Um, yeah, I feel kind of sympathetic for that idea. Um, and yeah. I'm going to be much harsher for all my friends from now on. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. If nothing comes out of this podcast, I think that would be, that would be one yeah. positive. Um, but then, but then, but then the thing that happens, and I think this is what I'm facing is that that becomes very, very overwhelming because mm -hmm. then you're, when you're, when you were actually, when you actually take the thing of take no one's word for it, 
Well, what does that mean? That means now I have what now I have to go like look under a microscope and make sure that, you know, the, the structure <laughs> of bacteria is how they actually say it is, you yeah. know, like, yeah. and, and I do think that I've ended up in that position with like, so for example, I used to love like working on introductions and I like now it's just, oh my God, like, is this true? Is this not true? Like, do I now I have to like, for every sentence or every citation I've had to add, it just, I'm inundated with like these thoughts of doubt of like oh is that what they actually said um like do i have to like read everything and like mm-hmm. look at every p value in every paper i cite to make sure that right like you can end yeah. up in this position of like oh yeah it's just overwhelming um yeah. when you're that skeptical yeah. of yeah. everything yeah. yeah it's a very very good point uh, and um i mean i I think we should probably make this easier for people. So I think part of the problem is that um, knowing whether you're calibrated or not is so difficult. And indeed, now you have to go through all this work, or it feels like you need to go through all this work of checking a paper, are the assumptions fine? I mean, we have such a long list of crises. (laughs) You basically need to read a paper and say, is this a victim of the measurement crisis? (laughs) Oh, no, but it's definitely a victim of the theory crisis. I mean, come on, this is like, so now I can't cite it. And yeah, it's very difficult to, um, yeah, we don't have a, list i mean sometimes I, I think it would be lovely if we just go to an online database and you can type in this paper and you have this set of criteria or things that help you to calibrate you know yeah. uh, even if it would just say like there's been 17 independent replications of this i mean we don't even have that as a database that would be super useful um and it's not just for the introduction but it's also like if you come across a real cynic mm-hmm. who says Psychology is not even a science. Nothing that is done in this field is worthwhile. And then they will do this horrible thing that they say, or give me some examples of what (laughs) psychologists have contributed. And then every time the question comes up, I'm like, I don't know, what can I say? And, you know, I have some, I have some thoughts, but then I didn't read that entire literature. So there's like, say, education psychology, Mm -hmm. you know, we Mm -hmm. we often give advice to our students and I feel it's super helpful advice about how to study, which is based on psychological research. But then I'm like, yeah, but I didn't indeed. I didn't check. Actually, didn't read it all, right? Yeah. You are taking somebody's word for it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so it's a good point that we have this. And, um, and I guess we've doubted a little bit whether just relying on other people telling us that it, that seems not good enough anymore. Um, and, and the system we have in place, I think, I think the problem that we don't trust things so much, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, or we feel we don't can't trust things so much is, because the whole system lacks this certain skeptical check everywhere, you know? Yeah. And I, but I wonder if the healthy thing is like, we build knowledge in a way where we check everything when, when it comes, right? If a new idea comes out, we're like, okay, let's be super skeptical and not trust it. But then we, you know, we put things to, you know, the ringer and then we're like, okay, now we're sure that maybe this thing is maybe a true effect. And then we put it, we file it now under, you know, conditional truth and now we take it to be true until somebody actually proves that it's not but that becomes Mm. part of our you know this is our knowledge base anything new that comes up we'll be skeptical of but these things we'll sort of take as being sort of you know yeah um, no that's what you would like to have indeed ideally and i don't think yeah yeah. and i think for the new findings you don't even have to be skeptical you're just uncertain about them yet i Mm, mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know you can also be skeptical i guess but you can yeah. also be uncertain. I don't know what the difference is. Maybe there's a difference. I mean, uncertainty is just, I don't know. I don't know exactly whether this is true or not. But I think skeptical is like, I've seen a couple of cases of this and I would would be uh, convinced about it if I trusted the whole way that this was all generated. Wait, you've seen a few cases of what? No, of studies. So let's say you've seen a couple mm. of studies. Mm, right? So I it's see, not right. just, it's not new. There's a, a couple of studies, mm. but I, I feel the difference between uncertainty and, you know, um, skepticism is that normally if you would just look at the data, you would mm-hmm. say, okay, I'm, I should be quite certain about this finding mm-hmm. based on the data. Mm-hmm. But skepticism means you don't trust the process that generated this data. Yeah. So you say, yeah, if I could take this on face value, then this would be very convincing. Hmm. But I'm skeptical that I can take it on face value. Face value. Yeah. That's a, but that's a very interesting distinction that you're drawing between just uncertainty versus skepticism. I almost wonder if like uncertain, like being uncertain is a better way to think about it than being skeptical, right? Like, because skeptical is like, yeah, I can't trust this, but uncertain is, 
oh, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. We don't know. So let's check it. And that just mm-hmm. seems like a healthier way to approach it than skepticism. And I don't know if that's just because yeah. the words like this, the word skeptical is just has a bit of a negative connotation, right? Um, mm-hmm. So maybe there isn't a distinction here except for just connotations, but it just seems like uncertainty, like we're not sure instead of yeah. like, I don't, I don't trust it, right? Like, because when you're talking about skeptic, yeah, skepticism, it comes to like, yeah, we don't trust either this finding or the, or these researchers. And that just seems like sort of a value judgment as opposed to uncertainty where you're like, oh yeah, we're just not sure. This is a good point, but I think the role of skepticism is exactly to not trust trust, the data. (laughs) And that makes it such a contentious thing to be very skeptical (laughs) and untrusting. I mean, I I like this um, uh, quote by Deborah May also. She's Mm -hmm. a philosopher Mm -hmm. of science and Mm -hmm. um, I I use this in education as well. But she has this quote that I think very nicely ties into this. And she writes, confronted with the statistical newsflash of the day, your first question is, are the results due to selective reporting, cherry picking, or any a number of other similar ruses? Mm. So this is exactly like you you have the data mm-hmm. that might be convincing in itself, but you say, but wait, have mm-hmm. you been cherry picking? I mean, so it mm. is this distrustful kind of attitude. Like, are you trying to... So it has this negative connotation if you say right. this. And I mean, imagine that this is really your first question, you know? So you have like a guest speaker at your university and they have a <laughs> colloquium and they, you know, present all these wonderful results. And then you just raise your hand. Your first question literally is, have you been, you know, hacking your way to all these results or, or is this real? I mean, so, so if you ask that question, you, you're not going to make friends, first of all. Right. I um, mean, Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't ask that question directly, but. <laughs> <laughs> but you should just think it by yourself. I mean, but that that's, I think, a nice example of the difference between, yeah. So there you um, distrust the procedure, you know, you're presenting me something, but I don't trust that you're presenting this in a fair way. Uh, you yeah. might have been selectively reporting or something. Yeah. And I wonder, like, it, perhaps that's a good thing to do, keeping in mind that it's not like the individual researcher's fault, but that the system is set up that way that, you know, for some people, some people might be taught to do things a certain way, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So that-, that, but but now we get into a whole tricky business of being so skeptical, you know, um, because indeed now you're, you have to, you almost have to say to be kind, like, yeah, but maybe it's the system, but sometimes it's not the system. So things just become personal there. And that makes this whole role of being skeptical so, so difficult. Right. right. Yeah, because it is taken, I mean, especially maybe not in other fields, maybe like not in, you know, economics, but I think in psychology, at least it is being skeptical sometimes might also be just taken as being hostile, like you're attacking, mm-hmm. you know, the researcher and their ideas. And I think it gets taken sort of personally. And yeah, that's which which it is, because which, <laughs> you know, but but maybe you should, right. you know, it would be easier if you if you frame it like this, um, where you say, uh, because we are all scientists and my role mm-hmm. is to be skeptical, our role is to be skeptical, mm. I'm going to ask you the question that basically mm. is forced upon me right. by our scientific <laughs> system. And that is, have you been fooling around with stuff and, you know, tr- are you trying to trick me? Or, I mean, sorry, sorry, but I have to ask it, you know, here. Yeah. It's like in the manual of how to do science. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That would be easier if that you can do it easier. like this. And I like this idea of being explicit about it. Maybe at every colloquium, every seminar, like every kind of talk, you just have, you assign one person as the skeptic. Like, the, you know, yeah. there's a cap that says skeptic and one person gets to wear it. Maybe it's a random mm-hmm. draw. And then that mm-hmm. person is like, just, yeah, just throw like, right. They get a pass. Nobody thinks that they're an asshole for asking these yeah. questions, but they get to just pose these very direct, are you messing your data um, questions. Yeah. That might be yeah, something. sort of like a devil's advocate, devil's advocate kind of position, right. and you can just say, "Look, I'm I'm playing the role of a devil's advocate, and I have a long list of things that could go wrong here. The right. first is, did you commit scientific fraud? Now it doesn't well. matter if you ask it, of course. I mean, it's a weird thing because right. people are not going to answer correctly. Nobody's uh, going to say truthful. yes. Yeah. No, but you can say, look, right. uh, these were very interesting results. I just want to put up some caveats, like right. assuming that you didn't commit scientific fraud and yeah. you, you calculated everything correctly. And I don't, right, yeah. yeah. And you, yeah. you know, what's what's interesting is, so he, here at Berkeley, we actually don't have defenses, like dissertation defenses, which I think is mm-hmm. just wild. Um, but I was talking to a friend who's um, an academic in Norway, and she was mentioning how, well, in their defense, they actually have an outside person come in whose whole job is to be 
I mean, I forget what the term they use, but you're essentially the devil's, you know, advocate. Your, your job mm -hmm. is to sort of really challenge what the student did because you're an outside member, right? You don't have the same kind of um, biases as their own advisors might have. So they, they bring yeah. somebody in specifically for that job, which I think is great, you know? Yeah. We, we have it as well. Um, yeah. uh, it's called an opponent. An opponent. That's right. That's which, right. Which in itself yeah. nicely points out that you're supposed to, uh, you to know, oppose, your role, yeah, right, your, right. Role, your task from a scientific perspective is try to be, be the opponent. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Netherlands, the whole defense is more like a play. You know, I mean, the the decisions have been made before, but right. the same opponents will read the thesis beforehand and give you feedback and say, maybe, you know, it's more like a review mm. step before. That's the serious part. Interesting. But then the real, like the public defense uh -huh. is more for the family members. And so right. you can look Just. smart in front of your parents, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Okay. But having somebody with this role is an interesting way to get around the problem that we right, think that, right. you know, this is the lifeblood of science or so somebody should do it. And and that's why, you know, I have a bit of a weakness for people who take on this role, mm. uh, because I think often they're not appreciated a lot right. for it. Uh, yeah. It's very different. I mean, there's also this confound that the people who choose to take on this role yeah. <laughs> might also might. be the people who sometimes are a bit rude and, you know, right. I mean, you get that yeah, in the no. system, I guess. Absolutely. Um, but they, they do it anyway. So I have some sympathy there for people who take up this role. But it might be better if we train everybody to be able to take on this role. That mm. is an interesting thing in itself. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. you train people yeah. to be um, skeptical in a healthy way, in a healthy way, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Might be difficult, actually, because it's it's very easy to be skeptical in a bad way, where you just say, "Oh, this is all nonsense." I think this is just all nonsense. But you have to have good um, possible criticisms, I guess. Right. Um, so training everybody for this would be good, and then maybe really assigning people with this role. But I mean, this is what psychological research has told us that even if you assign somebody with a position and it's not their real position, people will still think that they. Are actually really, you know, they're actually assholes. Yeah, even though they've been assigned the roles. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, hopefully, if you keep switching them around, then everybody's equally an asshole yeah. at some point. So yeah, it, it evens out. It that evens out. Nice. Hopefully, at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so then, what do you think, Daniel? Like, how can we improve on this? Mm -hmm. Like on the skeptic. Like, well, where is the room for improvement? Well, I think. What we want to end up with is this well calibrated skepticism. Right. So that means that we both treat people to uh, teach people to be a bit more skeptical when they need it, but also mm -hmm. to be, for people to be a little bit less skeptical uh, when they need that. Right. Mm. And that is interesting because I think it's easy to think of training people to be a bit more skeptical. I think it's more difficult to even think about what it would look like to teach people to be slightly less skeptical about certain things. But I would love to think about an assignment for that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but quickly, in what cases do you think there's room to be less skeptical, more trusting? Well, I interact with a lot of statisticians. And um, I think statisticians who don't end up reading the literature really, you know, they don't have these researchers as their colleagues. Mm -hmm. So they can end up with, end up with a quite a skeptical attitude sometimes. Like mm. these people don't want to do good science. They just come to me and they want me to make all their mm. results significant. Right. Which definitely <laughs> might be true for some people. But I, I feel, you know, I know a lot of people and I, I think that's not really an accurate summary of everybody that I see around me. Right. So, so in that sense, I would say some people need to become a bit less skeptical about why people come and think, okay, but wait, what are the reasons that this is happening or what, you know, maybe they're just not aware of certain things or I don't know, but th that might happen sometimes. Or the people who indeed think that all research on a certain topic is nonsense without carefully reading it and evaluating it. You know, that's so easy. And uh, yeah, so, so sometimes that might be necessary. And some people are just a bit too naive, maybe trusting everything a little bit too much. Um, so some education about that would be interesting to develop, maybe. Yeah, I think education is definitely a big one. And and I think teaching, yeah, skepticism in a more sort of principled way would be helpful, right? Like it would have been super helpful for me when I was, for example, mm -hmm. an undergrad to like, mm -hmm. to be sort of taught how to, yeah, like, let's look at the results and see if we, you know, agree with what... Um, what was actually done and what they actually said, right? Does that line up? Like those kinds of tools would have been helpful. I mean, you know, you learn kind of them in graduate school and onwards, but it would be nice if that was done earlier. And I think, again, also self-skepticism, right? Mm -hmm. Really not just like looking at other people's work, but also making sure that people are more skeptical of their own work than they are of other people's work. 
And I think if we did more of that, if we encourage that, and maybe also sort of incentivized in some way and not ducking points for people for pointing out flaws in their own work, I think yeah. would be really great because then you can just trust the literature a little bit more, right? Then you can trust the people more to do better work. And then you can reserve the skepticism for the findings and not the mm -hmm. people. Yeah. yeah. Um, any other solutions before we wrap up? One thing I think we want to have just to make us feel a little bit better about all this uncertainty and can we mm -hmm. trust it, can we not trust it, is have some tools that allow us to have more calibrated uh, skepticism. Right. So what are good indicators that really tell us like this is a red flag, real red flags that go up? What is the scope of which it is warranted with? Mm. Like how many findings might be affected by this source of skepticism? Like, how do we figure out, yeah, in which situations should we be skeptical, in which situations we should not be, and at what level we should be skeptical of, right? Is it at the level of theory or like the instruments that we're using, or is it like all of it? There's so many parameters here, and it's very difficult to know how to, you know, tune them to get to the optimal level. And I, I'm not sure if we even have a good way of even thinking about how to get there. Yeah. How to, how to figure out a process that will get us well calibrated in yeah. our skepticism. I think that's a, a good observation and that also helps me at least to understand a little bit better why I sometimes feel uneasiness about my skepticism mm. uh, because I feel it sometimes. But then exactly those points you bring up like... Um, you know, there's so many parameters that I can be skeptical about and am mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. using them right? Am I weighing them well yeah, or not? Right. Um, you know, sometimes I might look at things I have a bit expertise in, like statistics, for example, I can evaluate mm -hmm. those things. But mm -hmm. very often I'm left with the same, you know, what you mentioned, like writing the introduction. Yeah. I'm left with the same sort of doubts. Yeah. It's good to think about. I think it's just good yeah. to think about. I think we don't need to come up with a solution here on the spot. No, but I, but I, I, you know, in an ideal world, I think for me, we would end up in a place where we are skeptical of all the f new findings, mm -hmm. not the ones we sort of built some trust in. We we do have, you know, some because I do some. Sometimes psychology can feel like, oh my god, like there's nothing may, might be true. It's just a house of cards, and then how do I build upon that, right? Mm. Um, so not that, right? We have a body of knowledge that we sort of, you know, again, everything is provisional, right? But we sort of take them to be true. And then we are skeptical of everything that new that comes out, but we trust the process. You mm -hmm. know, we trust the process and being skeptical is part of that process, right? That, oh yeah, if we keep our eyes open and we're making double checking everything and we're not taking, you know, then the process will work out and then we trust the people. And I think that will require some changes to the system where we're selecting people or or giving them the proper tools that will allow us to be more trusting in them. So yeah, skeptical of the findings, not of the process or the people. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can also more clearly articulate what we're skeptical about and then test it. So mm -hmm. If there are people who say, look, I think this is just not trustworthy because of this reason, and we mm -hmm. would specify it, you know? So I think, mm. um, so just trusting the process is a bit difficult for a skeptic, right? Because they might be skeptical about the process. Um, but whatever it is that they're skeptical <laughs> yeah. about, if mm -hmm. you clearly articulate it, we could collectively say, okay, well, if a lot of people have this skepticism about this thing, let's try to take it away. And I think that's going to be a very slow process. Mm -hmm. You have to figure out a lot of stuff and test a lot right. of stuff and take away a lot of doubts. But for few, for topics where you think it's important, you can go through a process like this that people are not just saying, mm, I don't believe it. Yeah. But that we first force them to clearly articulate what their skepticism mm -hmm. is about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we try to address it. And then if we've done this for a while, we end up with findings where even the skeptics' um, biggest concerns have been addressed. And, uh, right. you know, you can cite them into, into, in the introduction of your paper. Yeah. It would also mean taking them uh, seriously, you know, not too personal. So even mm. any mm -hmm. any skepticism, if it's dealt with enough people, you know, uh, or if yeah. a, lo a lot of people share it. Um, yeah. Maybe it's warranted. No judgment about no. your skepticism. Right. Just put it on a list. And if, <laughs> if enough people have put it on the list, we will just go forward and uh, test it and uh, try to take it away. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nullius in Verba. 
Our theme song is Newton's Cradle by Grand Brothers. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or comments you'd like to share, you can reach us over email at nulliusinverbapod at gmail.com or our social media accounts at Mastodon or Twitter. In today's episode, we discuss the role of skepticism in science, which relates closely to the title of our podcast, roughly meaning, take nobody's word for it. We end the episode on a note about how confirmation bias gets in the way of well-calibrated skepticism, a topic we will pick up in the next episode. As in the first episode, we will draw inspiration from one of Bacon's aphorisms from the Novum Organum. We will discuss how confirmation bias influences scientific knowledge generation, and what we can do to not fool ourselves. We hope you will join us.